3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, educate, teach you. Call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Everybody knows the physical bear markets now. Chapter and verse. When I walk down the street to get a haircut, I'm heckled about AMD and Nvidia, two of the greatest companies of all time. But most of the semiconductor stocks got inducted into the Jellystone National Park ages ago. Like a Micron, Corvo, Intel, Skyworks. They've all been tainted and have colored the tape mighty red with a genuine bear bawling. <laughs> Even on a sedate day where the Dow inched up 30 points, has to be advanced 0.34%. Boy, that was done in the last few minutes. And then as that gained 0.74%, the semis have been hurt by a slowdown in gaming, a beatdown in personal computing, and a bruising low-end cell phones. These bear markets are emblematic of the moment because they're nobody's fault. Although it doesn't help that China keeps locking down parts of its economy to deal with COVID because they refuse to use the most effective vaccines. When I say it's nobody's fault, I mean too many people bought PCs when they started working from home, so now there's less demand. And it's not NVIDIA's fault that their graphics cards were so perfect for cryptocurrency mining for Ethereum that, well, the crypto meltdown crushed them. Just like 2018. Hey, now NVIDIA's even being punished for being too darn good because our government doesn't want China getting its hands on their high-end AI chips. All these declines are impossible to ignore. And it's the most visible bear market I've actually seen since the year 2000. But tonight, I want to introduce you to a host of lower-profile bear markets, in part because many of these stocks have come down to the point where I think selling them, well, let's say, no longer makes a lot of sense. I actually picked an update today. I mean, literally, remember, the market finished again to do this piece, to start the show like this, because I know what I have to say right now is going to be pretty depressing. But let's start with autos, okay? The auto market, what can I say? Here's a group that's been beaten to a pulp by sellers who flock to own only one vehicle company, and that's Tesla. I am a huge believer in Ford and GM because their stocks are so cheap, especially Ford with that 4% yield. GM's doing some incredible things with self-driving. Ford is award-winning electric vehicles, just not enough of them. We always hear about how expensive this market is, but Ford's stock sells at seven times earnings, GM's at six. Is that expensive? Hey, they are on good. Your tire trades are about six times earnings, too. You think they've hit rock bottom? Lots of people keep calling them value traps, though. And the hedge fund playbook says you can't own the autos going into recession. What can I say? Even if you disagree with the playbook and I do. The fact is that it trumps everything in this environment. You know what? We're sticking with the Ford for the charitable trust. You know why? Well, I'll tell you why, because we're going to talk about it tomorrow's must see noon club meeting. You don't want to miss this one. But it's not easy to stick with any auto company that's got internal combustion engine business. They always call them ICE. It's like ICE. I mean, don't give me ICE. I mean, it's like, give me, what do they call them? BEARS! Electric cars, absent Tesla, aren't immune either. Lucent's been miserable. Even as I went by a showroom the other day, it was packed. It's, It's just not where you can afford to be. Second lower profile bear market, how about getting mauled at the mall? Bears are roaming free all over the place in the shopping centers. You feel like a salmon in one of them Canadian streams when you invest in a mall retailer. Gap Stores is having an existential crisis. GameStop doesn't seem to be all that investable in its current incarnation, even if the apes love it. And it's sold to you. It's brutal even to think about what's happened to it. A, a, a company like Nordstrom, where even the off-price businesses, we, I do like Macy's, but it's being pulled down by the cohort. Have you looked at the stock of Kohl's lately? Don't waste your time. My terrible trust got hit by the American Eagle ugly stick. A lot of investors thought they'd be safe in American Eagle because that juicy 5% yield until they paused the dividend. Even as it cost a fraction of the $200 million accelerated buyback that they did in June. You know what? It was just an idiot move and I got to call it out. It was an idiot move! Everybody gets away with everything in this thing! They know nothing! Let's not forget the suppliers. PVH has been crushed. VF Corpse a Nightmare. Contour Brands. Levi doing well, but their stocks aren't. Common theme in this group. And who can, af- who can forget? Bed, bath, and beyond. If only the apes would pile into the stores, not just the stocks. They might learn what they're owning and change their minds. You want pain?
2: The house of pain. I'll give you some
3: pain. How about the Internet, all ways, shapes, and forms? Platforms is the poster child. Just a company with a stock that switched neighborhoods in a real bad way. From the land of the new high to the land of the new low. And, by the way, uh, the lows seem to be plumbed on a daily basis. Pinterest, oh, just acquire to sell yourselves already. I mean, I, I, you can get it for a song. Snap? Let's say it's been snapped. Twitter might be rescued by Elon Musk takeover, but no, no takebacks. But without him, I wouldn't be surprised if this stock literally got, I mean, this is really incredible, cut in half. Hey, no wonder he wants out. Next bear market, the home. It's a veritable bear cave. I'll give me give you two in particular, just because they're so emblematic. Trex and Azek, amazing companies, faux wood, they've been throwing the wood chipper on a daily basis. You cannot go near the paint stocks either. Hey, by the way, how low... Can the stock of an incredibly great company, Stanley Black & Decker, go? Beats me, whole aisles in the wasteland of Lowe's and Home Depot. Don't look now. You might see something you like. We've seen something similar in telco and entertainment. Paramount, Comcast, parent company's network, Verizon, ATT. They've all been trashed and mutilated, but nothing like the much discussed and dissected. people, People love to talk about the media, if they're in the media. Warner Brothers Discovery. This is one of the ugliest stocks I've ever seen. Uh, only T-Mobile is unscathed. T-Mobile to this group is like Tesla to the autos. Now, we got some nascent bear markets, too, like the one in steel. Nuclear uh, plummeted today on a week pre-announcement, although it's nowhere near the decline in Cleveland, Cliffs, or the copper company, Freeport. Uh, it looks like it's a possibility. I mean, I'm not kidding. For the first time today, the rails clack, cracked. Downgraded of Union Pacific. Uh, We we might be on the cusp of a railroad bear market. And how about conglomerate Grizzlies like 3M? They haven't brought down the whole cohort, but who knows what's next? Maybe payment companies? Have you seen Block? Nothing to see here. Keep moving. Keep moving. Oh, by the way, you uh, you might not know it, but we have rules in this show about the size of companies we can talk about. So many companies I follow, and you know I follow, literally I follow a couple thousand companies, as crazy as that is, but So many companies that I follow are now too small to mention on air. Literally hundreds of them are now too small. They're that pathetic. I'd love to roast the subscription companies that people are canceling or the charging stocks or the SPACs, but almost all of them have collapsed to the point where they're just too tiny to talk about here. Even if there weren't size restrictions, I don't know if I'd be able to say anything about these loser companies because there's no way to describe them without using the kind of profanity It really doesn't belong on a family show like this. So why mention all these houses of pain? I am not trying to make you miserable. There are enough commentators who feel like that's their professional duty. Frankly, I bring them up because I'm sick and tired of hearing about how we're at the beginning of a giant rollover. The beginning. Beginning? I'm done with all that. Now is the time to get out calls. Where the heck were you 10 months ago when it mattered? It's not just the post-COVID kiss of death, it's multiple kisses, multiple fatalities. Sure, other stocks can and will follow these leaders down, but after listening to this read, can we accept one thing? The devastation is broad, the loss is used, the relentless selling horrific. We're going to see layoffs at so many of these companies. So it drives me nuts when people talk about how this market hasn't already been crushed and has much more to fall. Look at all these areas that have been already laid to waste. I mean, and there's so many more, I couldn't put them all in. Here's the bottom line. We need to accept that the winners in this environment are robbing Peter to pay Paul. But man, we're already nearly a year into this decline. I just wish the so-called professionals would act like it. Start looking for companies that they are, do- that are doing well to buy rather than markets that are too weak and have to be sold. You know what I say? I say, Ooh. Time to buy. Beth in Georgia. Beth. Beth? Hi. How are you? I am good, Beth. How about you?
4: I am good. I thank Hi. you for all your wisdom.
3: Oh, uh, you're very kind, Beth. Thank you. What's going on?
4: I'm a second-time caller, and I have a question. I made a lot of money in MongoDB about just over a year ago. I sold it over 500 and now it's down to like two forty seven. I've been watching their revenues grow exponentially, but their losses are growing, too. It's just a good time to get back in and hold it.
3: We cannot be in companies that are losing money. Beth, it's just rule in the show. It's kept us in the game. Others aren't in the game. Keep it like that. Don't go back. Congratulations. Great call by you. It drives me nuts when people talk like this market hasn't been hasn't been hurt, it's about to get crushed. Are you kidding me? We're nearly a year into this market decline, and I wish the so-called professionals would start being a little more empirical and less anecdotal. On oh, Mad Money Tonight, after yesterday's tech tumbles, it's time to take a look at a company like Etsy? I'm getting the latest from the company CEO. Then with another hot CPI number, could today's bounce at oil be an actual red flag in the hopes of taming commodity inflation? I'm going off the charts to find out. And in the face of an increasingly tough market, could REITs be the opportunity your portfolio is searching for? I'm taking a closer look at some real good companies. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Visibility at indeed.com/slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com/slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: In a bear market like this one, you got to distinguish between broken stocks, we like those, and broken companies, we want to stay away from them. Broken stocks get ahead of themselves, they've been hit hard, we know that, but at the end of the day, they belong to functional businesses, there's a level where those businesses are going to be fantastic buys, but there's no level if you got a broken company. How do you tell the difference? Take Etsy, the Brooklyn-based e-commerce platform for all kinds of homemade goods. I think this is a textbook too cheap, totally not broken company that is worth owning for years and years. But maybe you have to wait for the smoke to clear. In late July, they turned in a surprisingly strong quarter, and the stock jumped 10% in response. Since then, it's mostly held on to its gains, unlike many other stocks, even as the market's pulled back pretty hard. So how the heck has Etsy managed to do well in an environment that's pretty tough for e-commerce and for retail in general? Let's check in with Josh Silverman. He's the president and CEO of Etsy. You get a better read on his business. Mr. Silverman. welcome back to Mad
5: Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here.
3: Josh, you're a great anomaly. Uh, you're retail. Retail's doing poorly for a lot of stores. You're doing great. You are e-commerce. There's been a lot of rollover in e-commerce. You're doing great. You were COVID. You've done better post-COVID. What are the three secrets of your company?
5: Well, look, it's clear that during the COVID pandemic, Etsy had gale-force tailwinds, right. right? I mean, you couldn't shop uh, offline, you couldn't travel, you couldn't dine out. And the government was funneling a lot of stimulus right. into your wallet, right? So people are stuck at home. And Etsy sellers were one of the only places where they're shipping as normal. No supply chain issues. So Etsy benefited maybe more than almost anybody. I'd say for the better part of two years, people had to shop on Etsy. Right. But now they're coming back because they want to to shop on Etsy. They had an amazing experience. They realized that they got great products at great value from an actual maker who they built a connection with. And that's really special. So I think the secret is that Etsy sellers do something really different. Everyone else is trying to sell you the exact same thing for maybe a penny cheaper or ship it a minute faster. The Etsy sellers make something with love, make it just for you, do it really well, and deliver it on time. And I think millions of people got the chance to see that that is actually true. And now they're coming back again and again, even though they've got unlimited choice.
3: What you're describing for people at home is something that I almost never see in business. It's called personalization at scale. Those are supposed to be antithetical. How can you have a huge business that's still
5: personalized? Yeah, well, you know, at this point, Etsy has about 5 million sellers with about 100 million items for sale. And so each seller makes a few things with love and care that they're really good at. But across 5 million of them with 100 million things for sale, what that means for buyers is they can show up at Etsy and know that there's going to be a seller just for them. There's going to be a love connection there that's really great.
3: How many people like me or my daughter where we go, we buy one thing, we connect with the person who made it?
5: Yeah. Connect. Yeah.
3: And then stay in touch and continue to do business and business and business because we like the person.
5: It's so great. And, you know, one of the things I hear over and over again talking to buyers is the handwritten note. I you know, that. I bought it from Etsy and the seller was so great and she packaged it with love and then she included a handwritten note. When's the last time you bought something from one of the big retail folks and the CEO wrote you a note, <laughs> right? Right.
3: It is, uh I, I make pickles and I, Jim's none better and, uh, the person who made them said, made three different designs, told me that Jim's in a pickle. I had a lot of different stuff. And how much? T- just continue to, to apply the business. And then you realize not only you're not alone, but you can watch an Etsy ad on football. And there are millions of people like me who crave this. We crave this kind of
5: connection. I think that's what we all want more, more and more now in a world that's trying to tear us apart more, that's trying to find every way to divide us. We want to come together. We want to be part of a community. And Etsy is a way to create, you know, now 88 million buyers with about 5 million sellers that are really coming together over something we can all agree. And don't we need more of that?
3: Yeah. Oh, do we ever. I sometimes tell people when people say, where do people go? The great resignation. I say if they had success, some of those 5 million people, they're doing better financially, but certainly being rewarded much more uh, you know, emotionally. Than if they were at work, I bet just some of the people who are so-called missing from the workforce
5: are having the time of their life working working with Etsy. It's entirely possible. So uh, we just featured a, a seller, Matt Wicker, who uh, Wicker's Woodworks. I um, love that ad. He's so good. He's he's now uh, made more than two million dollars of sales, making um, really beautifully crafted homemade uh, vinyl record holders right. and things that are you know speak to a certain market, and he does it great. And by the way, he taught himself to woodwork off YouTube opened an Etsy shop, and it's now has bought a house with the money that he's made from the proceeds.
3: Well, finally, I think it's really important to mention that you, among all the people that did well during the COVID period, you were the most conservative. You actually thought business was going to drop off. The other guys all felt, hey, we've got everybody hooked. You were, they were wrong. You were, wrong. You, you were the cons- too, way
5: too conservative. Well, we never take anything for granted. And so when the terrible pandemic happened, which was terrible for the world, and everything shut down, our business exploded. And and overnight on April 2nd, our sales more than doubled. And we kept feeling like as soon as people get a chance to go shop in a mall again or travel again, they're gonna wanna take advantage of those options. So if we can keep even half of the gain, if we can earn the right to keep half of that extra wallet share, that would be fantastic. And here we are you know, at a point when people can spend almost anywhere, Etsy sellers sold about $3 billion worth of product last quarter. The same quarter before the pandemic, they sold $1.1 billion. There it is. That's
3: why this stock should be bought. That's why you have to take some pain from the stock market. That's not being caused by the company. That's Josh Silverman, CEO of Etsy. And, uh, yes, Emma, here, here are the cup, the cup things that you bought for me for my birthday, of course. from Etsy. Everybody's back in.
1: Coming right on. Oh Is the oil industry's loss a win for the consumer? Why big tankers and your shopping cart may be latched by a petroleum hook. Next.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
3: After yesterday's total meltdown in the face of another overheated inflation number, we need to talk about one of the most important components of inflation that have been going in the right direction for the Fed, oil. Unfortunately, the price of crude jumped 1.57% today, which is the last thing we want to see. But there's good reason to believe that the current bounce may actually turn out to be short-lived, and oil might actually start going lower again. Don't take it from me, though. Tonight, we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner, She's a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, and our resident commodities expert who predicted the peak in oil months ago when everyone else thought it was going to the moon. For those of you who don't remember, Garner's thesis for most of the year has been that the Russian invasion of Ukraine caused an irrational spike, irrational spike in crude. Russia got hit with tons of sanctions from the West West, and Wall Street just assumed that oil would disappear from the market. But that is not actually what happened. It just messed up the global oil supply chain as Russia started selling its barrels to China and India at cut rate prices. Very few people on Wall Street thought that would happen. Once we realized that there wasn't much of an oil shortage at all, we started worrying about a worldwide slowdown as central bankers raised interest rates to tamp out inflation. The price of crude quickly peaked, plunging from almost $130 to nearly $80 over the course of six months. Of course, it's now rebounded to nearly 90 bucks. And that's exactly what Garner predicted when she said it would hit the low 80s and then come right back up. And she says this bounce fits into the more gentle uptrend that oil had been going into before the war in Ukraine got rolling. But ever since oil broke down below 100 bucks in July, we've had a number of short-lived rallies and the buyers have been punished every single time. In the short run, Garner wouldn't be surprised if this oil can keep running for a bit. But longer term, she thinks the bears will win, and the price of crude will head back to a more natural level, which she sees get this, really at around sixty bucks a barrel. That's the true price. Of course, the bulls have gotten some good news lately. The petrol gangsters at OPEC Plus have cut production in order to bolster prices, and now we're hearing that the Biden administration might actually do some. Some buying to replenish the strategic petroleum reserve. They've sold a lot of stuff, a lot of oil ones much higher. Yeah, I think it'd be a huge mistake if they're worried at all about inflation. Meanwhile, new supply has come online, but not as much as we, uh, let's say, anti-inflationists really ha- uh, are looking for. So why does Garner want to take the bearish side of the trade ultimately here? Remember, 60s ultimately. Well, first, let's check out the seasonal tendencies, which really do matter when you're doing commodity investing. Check out this chart of the historical pattern in West Texas crude. Here you can see how oil tends to trade in a typical year. Normally, it holds up roughly, uh, holds up pretty well through early to mid-October, where it tends to peak before coming down hard through the end of the year. Of course, these patterns can only take you so far. Garner's adamant that seasonality is not a trading strategy, but it's worth keeping an eye on. As a well, result, she would expect a, a serious breakdown in crude until next month. Uh, at that point, though, you might want to get more cautious. So she's saying. History could repeat itself. Not definitely, but it could. Next, let's talk sentiment as exhibited by the CFTC's Weekly Commitments of Traders Report, also known as the COT Report. OK. When, this shows you how major players in the futures market are positioned. Take a look at the chart with the commitments of traders data down at the bottom. All right. What we care about here is the green line, which shows you the net long or short position size of large speculators, meaning professional money managers. At the moment, these major players are net long just over 200,000 futures contracts, meaning they've cut over 60% of their bullish positions on oil. Gardner points out that this is the most negative the large speculators have been on crude since the 2016 lows, which preceded a monster $50 rally as those money managers rebuilt the positions. Again, she does not see a big sell-off happening now because, well, we've had such a liquidation. Negativity, in this case, is a good sign. It tells Gardner that most institutional money managers have liquidated their oil positions already. And that opens the door for near-term balance like the one we're seeing right now. Now, let's take a closer look at the monthly chart of West Texas crude, which gives us a nice bird's-eye view of the market. It looks confusing. Bear with me. Gardner notes that oil has now fallen back to its old, take a look at this, Pre-Russian invasion trading range. Right there, okay? When the war broke out, oil surged higher. But now those gains have been largely repealed. After the invasion, crude broke out above trendline resistance, that's this, uh, in the mid-90s. And now that we've fallen back below that level, Garter thinks it's Sicily again. Currently around $93. That's why we're going to have a hard time right here, she thinks. Uh, at the same time, oil's got a compelling floor of support at $80 a four that we tested last week, and we held. That was significant. And look, even if we've gone back to pre-Ukraine oil markets, you've got to remember that things were really looking pretty good for oil in February. Remember, this was a good year. For, that was before the war broke out. Crude was trading at levels that we hadn't seen since prices imploded in 2014 when the fracking explosion caused a worldwide oil glut. For the moment, the uptrend from the bottom in March of 2020 is still intact. I find that pretty positive. Almost reassuring. Don't get too comfortable. This is a real, real... Uh, rally that was not necessarily engendered by what happened in Ukraine. All right, so how about when we zoom in on the weekly chart? Just like on the monthly, the line in the sand for oil is that floor of support currently at $80. I keep referring to this because that's where Gardner said oil would go when oil was here. I mean, what a great call. When the floor holds, we've got the potential for a bounce. Throw in the fact that we've got another three or four weeks of seasonal strength, and Gardner wouldn't be surprised if oil makes it, let's say, uh, way to the low to mid-90s might even test the next resistance at the 98 to $100 level. And hey, if something big happens, let's say China abandons its ridiculous zero COVID policy, or we get some political instability in a major oil exporter, she thinks this thing could go to $114. That would be a lot. But she also says that's a low probability event. And, and if it happens, Garner says you just view it as the last ride, you sell right into it. Why? Because if oil ever breaks down below its floor support of 80, once again, I keep mentioning that number, you can see up from the chart, that the next potential floor is 60. You want to be in that? I don't want to be in that. Uh, and man, when the Federal Reserve is raising uh, rates aggressively in order to stamp out inflation, it's very easy for oil to get crushed. This is not a commodity that thrives during a Fed-mandated recession. Hey, one more negative. Let's take a look at the dollar. Our currency has been incredibly strong, as you know, which is bad news for all commodities because they're denominated in, yes, dollars. Check out the dollars index, which measures the greenback against a basket of foreign currencies. Remember, oil and the dollar tend to settle in the opposite direction about 70 percent of the time. Pretty strong negative correlation, don't you think? While our currency's had a huge run and it's starting to look overextended, we're seeing tons of money pouring in from overseas take advantage of our country's rapidly rising interest rates. That said, Garner points out the relative strength index hasn't been making new highs along with the dollar, which is a sign that the rally may be running out of juice, something I believe in. Don't hold your breath, though. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggests that oil could run to the mid-90s by early to mid-October. But at that point, she expects it to peak, possibly leading to a big breakdown through the end of the year. If you're worried about inflation, that would be an incredibly positive development, although obviously awful for the oil industry. So don't get too long or complacent about the oil stocks. In fact, we've been trimming back a monster position we had in the oil group for our trust, and we're still doing so into any strength to get back to what we call a regular weighting. Let's go to Eric in Michigan. Eric. Hey,
4: Jim. This is Eric. Um, I'm just curious. With the rising cost of natural gas, do you, still, uh, do you still prefer to see uh, alternative um, energy companies like Generac? Do you, do you think they'll I, rise I do- within?
3: Uh- I do like Generac, but I've got to tell you, I'd rather go along the position and say to Terra, this has been my favorite because it's 50 percent natural gas, 50 percent oil. It was the biggest gain in the s 500 today, so that's not a bad place to be. Let's go to Michael in New York. Michael. Hey,
4: Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a time listener and now actually a third
3: time caller. Oh, thank you so much for calling in. How are you doing? Yeah, very
4: good. And I actually want to thank you for keeping your word. We spoke last when I introduced you to a company called Ping, you may recall. And you had Andre Dumond on, the CEO, afterwards when the stock was around 16. And I want to thank you for
3: having him on. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but the stock was recently taken out at $28 last month. Tell me, bro, I uh, I was gratified because we had him on. I liked him very much, as you know. It's uh, yep. been a tough group. Let's let's talk about uh, another stock. Yeah. What are you up to?
4: Yeah, sure. I'm calling today actually about a streaming service I subscribed to back in June, following an announcement with FIFA and the World Cup. Uh, since they hit a July low, it's more than doubled. It's trading well above the 50 and 300 day moving average. And besides just streaming, they just got approved for a sports book in your home state of New Jersey.
3: And okay. last month
4: they. Yeah, they signed an exclusive agreement last month with Ryan Reynolds Production Company for a multi-pack deal. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on Fubo.
3: Uh, Fubo's come down so much that I know it's probably too late to sell. But because it is losing money, sir, I can't recommend it. That's been my rules now for about six months, and those rules have been right. OK, look, the charts suggest that oil could run to the mid-90s by early to mid-October. But at that point, Garner expects a peak. Potentially leading to a big breakdown. So you Sell, 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 sell. Sure, we possibly hip out of place, and no, though, wouldn't it be? Much more mad money. Ahead. Uh, could the retail reach be the right choice for your portfolio amid heightened volatility? I'm digging into space. Then I learned a lot during our two day stay in Seattle, and I'm recapping the major takeaways from some of the Emerald City's finest companies. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. difficult market, and it's littered with landmines. And as I said at the top, one of the most dangerous, actually maybe among the most dangerous right now, is retail. If the Federal Reserve is going to keep having to tighten aggressively in order to beat inflation, and we want them to do that, then the odds of recession do grow. And that's real bad news for any business that depends on consumer spending, one of the traditionally hardest hit areas. Sure enough, most retailers reported not so hot quarters this past earnings season. In fact, it feels like you can count the good retailer stories on one hand. I mean, there are not a lot of Costco's like we saw yesterday, or Dollar Generals out there. But over the last month, the retail real estate investment trust, the REITs, meaning the landlords for retailers, have seen their stocks sell off too. And that I think is a mistake. Yes, most stores are doing worse than they were six months ago. We'll all agree on that, right? Yes, it's a tough environment for retail, but not many chains are in danger of going under or even falling behind on their rent payments. We're not looking at mass store closures either. And that's why I find this sell-off in retail REITs intriguing. Although their stocks have come down, as long as their tenants stay in business, they won't take much of a hit financially. To me, that looks like an opportunity. Hey, plus, by the way, remember, there are always other retailers <clears throat> who want to come in and take the place of current retailers that aren't doing well, often at increased rents. There are three in particular that I really, really like. Simon Property Group, Federal Realty, FRT, old friend of the show, and Realty Income. Why don't we start with Simon, which owns many of the best malls in the U.S. and Asia, more than 200 properties total. Of course, we now know that many mall-based retailers are really struggling here. I mean, think American Eagle, Abercrombie, uh, Nordstrom, Gap Stores. Woo! It's like these stocks have split, but you haven't received any extra shares. That's a stock joke. I mean, that's why Simon Properties plunged from 171 last November down to $99 today. Tell me that's not a buy. So why the heck am I even thinking about this symbol? Because I actually listen to the company when it tells us what it's, how it's doing. When Simon Property Group, run by David Simon, reported at the beginning of August, they delivered a really solid quarter, just a nice top and bottom line beat. No one listens, ever me. More importantly, on June 30th, their occupancy rate stood at a staggering 93.9%. That is actually up from 91.8% the year before. Occupancy is an all, all, really it's all important in this business, and that number's headed in the right direction, despite what you hear about retail. Plus, Simon raised its dividend for the second straight quarter. It's now more than halfway back to where it was before the COVID shutdowns in 2020. At these levels, the stock supports a magnificent 7% yield. Normally, I'd be a little worried about when I see a payout that high. But companies don't raise their dividends unless they feel confident about the future. And these guys just raised it two quarters in a row. David Simon is a very hard-nosed businessman. I know him. He doesn't do things idly like raising dividends when they can't afford it. In short, if Simon were really worried about tenant bankruptcies leading to a material decline in cash flows, they wouldn't have given you the dividend boost. It doesn't hurt that the stock sells for less than nine times funds from operations, which is the read equivalent of earnings. If this were an actual retailer, I'd say you can't trust the valuation because the earnings estimates are almost certainly too high. But Simon, property is a high-end landlord, so the retail carnage has to get really bad before it starts to seriously damage the bottom line, and it hasn't. The way I see it, Simon's got a great long-term story with a cheap stock. And while business will definitely suffer somewhat in a Fed-mandated recession, they're paying you, pay you 7% while you wait for a turn, and you will get a turn. Next up, there's one that's an old friend of the show, maybe for 15 years now. It's called Federal Realty, FRT. It's one of our favorite REITs. They specialize in mixed-use properties in rich suburbs, especially shopping centers, not malls. But centers, although they've also got some residential and some office exposure, what a great idea to mix it all together. This is not a great moment for the homebuilders, but rental real estate is on fire. If anything, it's gotten way too hot. It's something that I think the j is worried about. Federal Realty's residential business had a 98.5% occupancy rate. No one has that when they reported the most recent quarter last month. As for the retail side, these are town square-like developments in affluent suburbs, meaning they're much more resilient than malls or strip malls. Same goes, by the way, for their office properties, high-end boutique spaces that are near where people live, not in city centers that, of course, have been relatively abandoned since the pandemic hit. It's almost like they thought about this stuff ahead of time. On the last conference call, federal really told a t- tale of strong small shop leasing, up 360 basis points uh, year-over-year, and they've also doing a lot of new leasing, left and right, actually. Sure doesn't sound like a company that's losing tenants or in danger of needing to give them a break on their rent. All told, these guys had a darn good quarter. But because it's a REIT with a retail focus, the stock sunk from uh, 140 in January down to $100 now. And it doesn't get much credit when things go well because Wall Street views anything with a retail connection as inherently toxic even if it knows exactly what it's doing and it's going through really hard times. All these levels, at the, right here, at these levels, Federal Realty sells at 16 times funds from uh, operations, 4.3 percent yield. They just boosted the dividend penny last month. Speaking of the dividend, in 2020, when the economy was in lockdown, I can remember the analysts hounding these guys, demanding management, that admit that they had to cut the dividend. Federal Realty's Don Wood stood firm. He insisted that they could actually raise the distribution, not lower it analysts didn't know what they were doing. He turned out to be right. Again, finally, there's Realty Income. This one's very interesting for people who want regular payments. This is another one whose CEO we spoke to not that long ago. Looked him right in the eye. I like what I heard. Realty Income has over 11,000 properties spread across the United States, the UK, and Spain. 84% of that portfolio is retail. Probably why the stocks come down roughly 10 bucks but, uh, over the past month, but they got really good retailers. The thing is, when you look at Realty Income's tenant list, uh, there's not that much to worry about. I mean, their biggest tenants are grocery stores, convenience stores, dollar stores, quick serve restaurants, and drug stores. Look at this. You know all these guys. These guys aren't that, they're just not that sensitive to the economy. Those are businesses that should do just fine in a recession. When they reported last month, they raised the dividend again. Now you get a 4.6% yield. Not only do they give you a payout every month, don't you love a monthly check? They're in the habit of raising that payout slightly every three months. They are, there are some others that I think you got to put on your radar. T- uh, Tanger Factory Outlet Centers is a terrific trade down play. Stock extremely cheap, 5.3% yield. But also want to think about Kimco. Yes, it's focused on rich areas like Federal Realty. Also has a ton of grocery stores like Realty Income. But here's the bottom line: while most retail stocks are horrible right now, and I admit that, the companies that own the best retail real estate are doing just fine, thank you. And I think their stocks are pretty attractive right here, right now, and they've come down. Really, only because of guilt by association. Mad money is back after the break.
1: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire, lightning round. Next,
3: it is time. To- <laughs> <laughs> And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Steve, Daddy, come the light room. Let's start with Anthony in Michigan. Anthony! Mr. Kramer, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Right back at ya. Gotcha.
1: I've
3: got a question about Sonova Energy. I've bought it high, on it, and
4: I've been buying it ever since it dropped. What's your outlook on the company and the stock price Okay, this, price this performance? company's not
3: making money, but it is going to benefit very much from the... Uh, Whip inflation now Legislation will be Guided That's a joke That's from Joe Ford time I do not think I want to recommend The stock At these prices Given the fact The companies lose money Let's go to Rebecca in New York Rebecca
0: Hi I'm so happy To talk to you Uh, Oh know. you I'd like to know How you you are Your wife And your daughters How's everyone doing
3: Everybody's doing great. Thank you so much for asking. That's great. terrific. What's sure. going on? Sure.
0: Yeah, I bought Luminar a while ago, and it's really not doing well. Do you think I should sell it now, or should I hold on to it?
3: I think you can hold it and sell it into a bounce. It's not making money. We're not in favor of companies that don't make money, even as we may like their politics or what they do. How about Shane in Washington? Shane! Booyah, we already missed you here, Jim. Oh, uh, I had so much fun! What a just a beautiful city. Thank you for having me. How can I help?
4: BGC Partners makes money, buys back stock, and launches and they're launching the futures exchange. People see me at, at the end of the year.
3: And that's precisely why I like it. It nice, could be bought. You just defined everything I like about a stock. How about we go to Stewart, New York, Stewart? Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm doing well, still. How are you? Know? Uh, I hope uh, I get some heat this winter because you know the way landlords are, and my stock is Peabody Energy. What can I say? I thought I'd never recommend coal companies, but I, these stocks are so cheap you can trade them for a bounce. That's the way you play it. How about we go to Robert in Delaware, Robert?
4: Yoski, Daddy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm a I'm a long-term investor. I took a small position in Roblox. And I was thinking of scaling in. Uh, what's your thoughts on Roblox as a long-term? I listened to Dave like?
3: yesterday. He was on Squawk. I thought he told an okay story, not great. I am not in favor of companies that are losing money because that, in a bear market, is a mistake. That's okay. that's I need to go to Clark in Florida. Clark. Well, yeah, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. Good. Back in New York. How about you? What's going on? Ah. Uh,
4: trying to make some money here in the market but listen a couple of months both, back Carter. you had mentioned um how resilient uh Mar-Vell's technology was to the economy and escalating interest rates if that's still the case should we be adding to our position yes and i'm levels?
3: going to talk about I want people to join the club. I spend a, a great deal of time preparing for these monthly meetings, and that's going to be one tomorrow, and I'm going to talk very specifically about why I like Matt Murphy and I like mar Bell technology. Let's go to John in Alabama. John. Yeah. John, what's up? I'm calling to get your uh, outlook on uh, Boeing. Oh, jeez. Bo- Boeing's tough. I'll tell you what, Boeing's tough. It's snake bit. I mean, every time I think it's about to break out, it comes back. Why? Because they're mistakes. Now we're hearing that China is going to have its own planes. We sold the stock for uh, my Chapel Trust. And you know what? I'm fine with that sale. I don't want to go back into Boeing. All right, let's take one more. Let's go to David in Tennessee. David.
4: Hey, Jim. Um, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Just wanted to what say you thank you. You're an amazing. You're, uh, it's, the ticker's LLAP <laughs> Toronto Orbital. The, the, the RSI has been at like forty for a long time, and I'm just curious about them. Which one? It's a uh, Toronto Orbital. All-
3: oh oh no. It, it, you know, look, I like these companies. I like the fact that Apple's got a, a, an interesting orbital solution for the 14. But I don't like this company because it's not making any money. I'm so sorry. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the. Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer shares evergreen lessons learned in the evergreen state. Next.
3: When you go on the road, you learn. For example, you can't understand how Starbucks is so confident it can boost its sales growth Unless you see the actual equipment they're going to use to make the throughput accelerate. You need to see the machines that can make cold brew in a fraction of the time it takes now. When you go out there in person, you finally understand what went wrong. Among other things, Starbucks was inundated with labor-intensive cold brew orders without the technology needed to speed up the preparation, making customers happy, baristas sad. Plus, soon... You finally get to specialize your drink anywhere you go. And that gives me a chance to get me that creamer, triple-venta cappuccino whiskey getting wet at any Starbucks simply by showing my handheld to the barista. I think that more than anything else explains why Starbucks surged 5.53% today on a ho-hum series of really kind of not-great moment. It, it wasn't the analyst notes. It wasn't the same store sales predictions. It's the technology. Sure, I believe they can hit the numbers. We're on that later for the Investment Club meeting tomorrow at noon. But I believe it because I've seen it. Hey, take my experience buying a new iPhone. I committed the cardinal sin of buying a current-gen Apple product, the 13, just a week before the 14 launches. We were told by analyst reports today that it's easy to get a new one because the pre-orders are weak. Wait a second. When I went to the Apple store in Washington uh, and asked them if I could just be able to, can I, what's the wait time for a new one? My salesperson was very uncertain, but assured me that it was not as quick as what the analysts are saying. That's not something you say unless you're that. Well, they're hard to get because well, isn't it as interesting to get me back in the store buying? Then there's Expedia, the online travel agency. The story's in flux right now. But the tens of millions of customers who rent out someone's home or book a Marriott property, I want a comparison shop for the best value. No, you can't be Expedia. What matters, though, is that the demand is off the charts for travel. When you're going to to deferred wedding after deferred wedding, you got a winner. Or take Amazon Web Services, another one we heard from on Monday. I always thought all data centers were created equal. What did I know? It's not true. These days, new information technology officers are eager to reduce their carbon footprint. It's integral to their job. And embracing the cloud is a lot more environmentally friendly than running your own business on on on-premises machines. Amazon Web Services lets you shrink that carbon footprint, and that's definitely part of its success. We've had 40 years of on-prem computing. That's going to unravel because of carbon emissions, especially once companies have to disclose how much, there's, how much carbon they're using. And it's coming. Finally, there's Costco. What can I say? Can you really know they're stuck at Costco, which we own for the charitable Trust, without hearing from management? Can we figure out whether the price of beef or chicken is finally going in the right direction? And it is going down. Or is the supply chain problems, are they getting settled? They are going better. When you look the CEO in the eye and he tells you these things, you know the situation is going to improve, not get worse, for the American consumer. And therefore, probably for the American stock market. Of course, it's exhausting to get out of town. But just stay in New York means you stay ignorant. Our trip to Seattle was a cornucopia of knowledge. And I bring it to you. Because while the big CPI numbers are the generals of this market, the Costco's, the Starbucks, the Expedia's and the Amazon's, they're the foot soldiers. And I always trust the folks in the trenches much more than their armchair leaders. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx.